0: I once read in Kerrang that Spineshank, hailing from Los Angeles, were a, quote, poor man's answer to Deftones. This is despite the fact that Kerrang, a few issues beforehand, included the track Stovebolt on their hallowed 1998 summer sampler. That's something I might podcast all by myself in the future. Welcome to the Bacio Podcast Network. I was still a fan that track from their debut album Strictly Diesel had more of an industrial element than what Chino and company were doing around the time of around the first album cycle. I could have made that a pun somehow. But the band changed their tact come the new millennium. 2000's The Height of Callousness released by a new metal label du jour Roadrunner Records pushed the band towards the more established template in terms of musicianship. The quirkiness was pushed to one side in favour of solid riffs, tight rhythm sections, without a double kick pedal for the most part, and a good looking lead singer by the name of Johnny Santos, I kid you not, that is his name, doing his best loud, quiet, loud Pixies impression with his voice. He was a good looking frontman also. He was charismatic, dashing, pensive in press photos, with partially dyed hair and piercings where piercings needed to be at that time. He exuded the same fragilic lead singer on edge energy as Nate Barclow did two years later when Finch blew up. And with solid singles off the height of callousness, synthetic and new disease, Coupled with fantastic videos for the pair of them, with a constant touring cycle, I mean they seem to play England every Roadrunner Road Rage tour, damn near every single year. They amassed a very popular strong fanbase, but it didn't seem vocal enough. It felt like an echo chamber. I mean despite having new disease used for Sean Palmer's pro snowboarder, MX Superfly, a motocross game, and on the soundtrack for the David Arquette Kurt Russell vehicle 3000 Miles to Graceland I believe Kevin Costner is in that as well, the band didn't seem to break out as much as their contemporaries, and maybe that was it though Maybe it was the fact that the wealth of bands around that time was insurmountable. With Corn, Limp Biscuit, Papa Roach and Linkin Park ruling the roost at that stage, it felt like the mid card, to use a wrestling term, was overabundant with bands that were good, that just didn't seem to break through the stained glass ceiling. I see what I did there, I managed to get a pun in. But was Spineshank cool to be up there? Of those three examples I gave where Spineshank's biggest hit was placed, none of those seemed cool. Why a snowboard game when you had Tony Hawks and his influential soundtrack? Why a motocross game when Ridge Racer and Gran Turismo were the hot ticket items in terms of racing games? And the best part of 3000 Miles of Graceland was the end credits, the very end credits, like. When all that crazy MPAA stuff comes up at the end, you know the one with the weird star. I digress, though. Reese, I put this statement to you today. Spinechank were the victims of some poor optics when it came to where their music was placed, and therefore, some of their charisma was taken away by those bad sync opportunities in the long run. That's a very industrial question. What is the question? Um, Do you think that Spine Shank suffered because the placement of their music was put on things that were average at best? You know, if you look at the Tony Hawk soundtrack, new bands that appeared on the Tony Hawk soundtrack fucking blew up, you know, or, you know, had a new lease of life. People were listening to Police Truck by Dead Kennedys again, or checking out Mad Capsule Markets, or Mill and Colin, and yet I've never known anyone in my close circle of friends, and I, I, even outside of that, I've never known anyone to play a snowboarding
1: game, let alone
0: Sean Palmer's pro snowboarding.
1: I'd never heard of it. I had Matt Hoffman, but a uh, BMX, but I'd never had this snowboarding game.
0: Yeah, because Matt Hoffman was Activision again, and uh, was it Neversoft? It was basically the same group of people that did Tony Hawk's pro skateboarding. And if you wanted the snowboard game you had um cool borders for the original PlayStation or on the PlayStation 2 it would have been ssX tricky I liked Spine shank I owned a spine shank t-shirt I don't buy a t-shirt unless I'm into a band that's pretty weird because you're wearing your Sean Mullins t-shirt yeah I'm into Sean Mullins my point exactly but it just felt that there was just something about them that didn't seem I mean I I haven't even
1: read the run sheet until uh, an hour ago. And that's the kind of great preparation you come for to listen to Baccio Dead Trip hosts knowing their shit. That's right. <laughs> we know our shit. We know our shit. But like you've brought up a point
0: on the run sheet about that Spineshank never really blew up. And I think the intro touched upon that, that they were good, hardworking, touring band, but it just... Didn't you know? Didn't pan out because that. Yeah, some people might point to the fact that their third album, uh, one of the singles, got uh, a nomination for a Grammy award. But like, big deal Did they win it. No. So my question or or the statement I made is that due to some poor decisions where their music was placed, did that take some of the shine off of Spine Shank? In terms of a, a bigger kind of following,
1: yeah, potentially. I think it's part of a bigger picture that the label didn't know what to do with them. And they're probably cheap. It, it's like the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack that we've discussed. It's like, hey, can we have filter? It's like, nah, but you can have uh, Tin Fed or Apartment 26. like, Yeah, oh, <laughs> we've got filter at home. Uh,
0: yeah, we've got filter at home. It's like Linear 77, it's completely
1: different. I feel like the label went and said, hey, we'd love to have some Static X or so even the Executioners is like, no, best we can do is you get two Spine shank songs. That's it. And one of them
0: has to be New Disease because <laughs> yeah. we know that that's going to make the money through a sync deal. And if you're not sure what sync licensing is, ladies and gentlemen, and, and everybody else on the brilliant spectrum that is 21st century, look it up, Google it, because it's where most musicians make their music now. It's like that old proverb, you know, that old riddle, should I say, which is, you know, I've got a Scream 3 soundtrack and I've got two Spine Shank songs on there, and I can guarantee you one of them's not synthetic, so what are they? And you'll get 50%, you'll get 50%, it's like new disease, you know. But they didn't even appear on a fucking Scream 3 soundtrack, which is just shooting fish in a barrel at that point when it came to Scream 3. It's like. <laughs> You know, and yet they ended up on a Freddie vs Jason soundtrack, and, and and it's hard for me to say because I really enjoyed Strictly Diesel their first album when they were just again kind of maligned for being oh just they're just a Deftones rip-off band, which is bollocks because why would Burton C Bell get involved in a Deftones ripoff band? They were more industrial than anything, and uh, then they ended up releasing the height of callousness which was there's some industrial elements there but i don't think it was as overt as say their previous album and i mean the music videos were good it seemed like roadrunner for for whatever reason seemed like roadrunner saw something in this band and decided yeah we'll push them but it just felt like Roadrunner at that time... I mean, we say that they're the new metal uh, label du jour. There was a ton of things going off at Roadrunner at the time. Somebody had to basically get the short end of the stick when it came to what they're pushing. Especially when you had Slipknot and Nickelback
1: ruling the roost. Yeah, so Roadrunner basically, as far as I can see, just mishandled them. So they were like, we love your sound, Spine Shank. We love that song, Detached. Could you please write more like that? And the band were like, oh, okay, so you like our sound, but you want us to ditch the 11 other sort of tracks we had and just focus on rewriting Detached. And they're like, yep, pretty much. And it's like, all right, fine. So they were feeling pretty jaded about the whole thing. But also at the same time of of realizing what the record label industry was, and it's a bunch of people sort of pulling strings and not really knowing what the fuck they were talking about, Johnny said he was being a real rock star arsehole. Like he was hanging out, you know, the rainbow and just drinking heaps and partying like we've made it they record the height of callousness and the label's like great you're going on a headliner tour it's like but we haven't done enough support tours to build up that fan base it's like good luck fuckheads and we've got a shitty band to support you and you'll be playing to eight people a night and then we're going to complain in six months when you haven't sold any albums because we put you like they just mishandled it they didn't build it up slowly uh so so they signed them they want them to change their sound or focus more on like writing hit singles. Then they don't support them on a tour. They did a bunch of tours with Fear Factory, as you mentioned, Burton C. Bell and Linkin yep. Park and that stuff. But they were pretty disillusioned when they were recording this, and so they they wanted to record with uh, Guga Garth. Oh, I'm just gonna call him Garth now. Just that was for reference. I don't like calling him Garth, yep. even though if he's okay with it, it just feels weird. Nah, don't feel right, does it? Nah, so Garth wanted them to record in Vancouver. But like three quarters of the band couldn't get into Vancouver or couldn't stay in Vancouver. They could only enter, but not st- – or something like that. It was something weird. And rather than support them, the label was like, if you don't record in Vancouver with Garth, we're dropping you. So it's was like, fuck, okay. So they had to like do a bunch of paperwork and shit to get into the country. And then they do the album and the label like, this is your one chance. This is your one chance to be successful. We will drop you after this. So they knew they were skating on thin ice. They were on borrowed time and luckily it worked. But they were in the studio writing and they most of the songs came out pretty quickly. But uh, yeah. I think it was Tommy really worked on a bunch of it. Like he was really driving it. But the song um, Play God is about the label. The lyrics are like trying to understand how someone like you can still sleep at night or are you too busy playing God to fuckers that are chewing at your lies. And then it's like another loser born, which is pretty good. And of course, there's the word disease in there. It's not a spine shank song unless you have the word disease in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know. It's like how Static X. It's not a Static X album unless they've got Otsego in there somehow. <laughs> hey, on a side note, I ended up watching one of the sets of uh Static X's um basically was zero. But don't tell anyone, but it's 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 uh it's Edsel, shh, don't tell anyone, it's really fucking good, it's quite eerie how much he's mimicked Wayne Static's movements as well, and for a homage to uh, Static X, to Wayne Static, um, it, yeah, it, it's really good, so for anyone that was curious how we felt
1: about the new Static X, if I said I wasn't into it, I now stand corrected. Surprising you bring this up. Listen to Paul messaged me and he's like, what's your take on the new static X zero. And I said, I think it's pretty tricky because obviously Wayne was doing his own thing at the time of his passing. He wasn't in static X as such. And then there was this weird thing with Tony and shit, but it's kind of nice that the band can live on and fans can still see and dance and live to that music. And maybe death brings people together. I don't know. It's probably done best way that it possibly could. Have been done, I
0: think. It's it's really, really well done. And I urge everyone listening that was very much into the Static X episode um, to go and check it out on YouTube. There's a couple of full sets on there. Uh, and if you are wondering who the hell is Static X, maybe you want to jump back into a couple of the archives of previous
1: episodes to play catch up. Maybe you want to shut your fucking face, everybody. That But they do do one thing that I fucking hate. I really don't like it, is when they come out and the crowd are ready for them and then they talk for two and a half minutes. It's just Tony going, hey, guys, we're, we're here. We're here to party. Let's do this. It's like, just play your fucking song and then do that. Building up to this, like, oh, they're coming out, they're coming out. Oh, no, now it's a two and a half minute TED talk about why chugging beer is cool. <laughs>
0: um, speaking about fucking annoying things, I read that uh, <laughs> Hello. basically uh, Gigi Garth And fucking Johnny Santos, uh, they clashed quite a lot when they were in the recording studio in Vancouver. And, you know, to be fair, this guy is basically like being thrusted to the forefront and he's 22 years of age. When you're 22
1: years of age, you're still a fuckhead. I don't care what you say. Yeah, so hearing Garth talk about it, I was like, on Garth's side, I was like, fuck, this Johnny sounds like a painful prick. And then you listen to Johnny talk about it, and Johnny's like, I was a painful prick. (laughs) He's like, but also, I was 22, I'd just been signed, I didn't know how much money was being poured into us as a band, I didn't know how much money it was costing to record, no one had told me this, they kept me in the dark, and I was just fucking... Being a fuckhead. And so Garth was pretty uh, pissed off at his lack of professionalism. He'd be like, oh, I can't do vocals. I've got to look after my kid or whatever. And then they'd hear he was at the Rainbow getting wasted and shit or he was somewhere getting just fucking blotto. So he'd come back in the studio and Garth would listen to him sing and be like, nah, you're done, man. You suck tonight. We're not going to get any bit anything better out of you. Fuck off. And then Johnny would be like, nah, man, this is reverse psychology. Fuck you. And then Garth would be like, nah, man. I I am saying this like I was there. I have no idea. But then Garth would be like, "Nah, man. I'm f- for real. You suck. Get the fuck out of the studio. You're wasting my time." And Johnny's like, "Wait for this track, bro. Wait for this take. I'm going to blow your mind." And then he would do an amazing take and then Garth would be like, "Gotcha, sucker." And so it was this sort of <laughs> it was this cat and mouse sort of give and take sort of shit. I kind of want to discuss this, and I'm not saying this is the case with Johnny as such. It's an interesting launchpad to talk about this. That notion of natural talent, which Johnny has, there is some amazing singing on this album, amazing screaming. There's some real Chester Bennington moments on this album, but he seems to not be able to get out of his own way or not have the maturity at this stage. So it's an interesting thing, and you would have seen it a lot, mate, where it's like, okay, where does raw talent get you and where does just hard work and hustling get you? And if you can combine the two, that's amazing. But you've got, so you've got like Lars Ulrich at one end with no talent but all hustle and more power okay. to him. And then you've got yep. mayb- maybe 22 year old Johnny Santos in Spine Shank with raw fucking talent but no real hustle. So you've seen it, I'm sure, in bands, man, where it's just like if you just harness that talent or if you, if you could focus on that talent, you could be fucking incredible. But they're like, nah, man, I just discovered bongs. You ever heard about bongs, bro? It's like, ah, oh, oh, fucking hell.
0: And it's a tricky kind of balance to have because you can have all the raw talent in the world. You could be like the second coming of Jimi Hendrix on guitar, you know. You could be absolutely a virtuoso. But if you're not willing to put the graft in, then, you know, it's it's not going to work out. I think in this day and age, especially how voyeuristic and how much peeking behind the stage curtain uh, music has become, you know, there used to be an element of surprise and mystery, and and now, by virtue of like Instagram or TikTok, it's like, you know, to, to reference uh pop star, Never Stop Never Stopping, which is a great movie by the way. There's that scene where Andy Samberg's character is just Instagramming everything or live streaming everything, and one of them is like, "Hey guys, just finished jacking it off. Get ready for my album release coming <laughs> out soon." So. So, with that in mind, people can see that this guy's a bit of a acting like a bit of a cock. We can see because of the way they present themselves, either on social media platforms or, you know, just word gets around a lot more quicker these days. But then, having said that, you could work really, really, really hard. I mean, incredibly hard. You know, you could just work 130 hours a day like you're a junior employee at Goldman Sachs and they're expecting you to go back to the office. You could grind, 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 grind. But, you know, if you haven't got any talent, y- you got to have that. You know, you could work really, really, really hard, but there still has to be an element of talent there. There still has to be an element of this is really good. So, yeah, for me... I, I prefer hard-working people that have got some good talent rather than raw talent that is just lazy as fuck because many hands make light work of a job. It just seemed at that point as, in time as well for Spine Shank, it was just, uh, you know, like Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events. Fuck it. <laughs> there was all of this... All, it was all, there was all of this stuff happening about them having to record in Vancouver and Roadrunner being Roadrunner, putting their foot down and going,
1: no, you have to go there. Why can't you be normal and just go there? Why, what a hill to die on. It's like, if it's good enough for Kenny versus Spenny, it's good enough for you, you fucks. Like, what a hill to die. On. It's like, why did you ditch Spine Shank? <laughs>
0: they wouldn't record in Vancouver. So, all right, cool. W- wicked. Yeah, you know, they just, they just wouldn't go on Strombo tonight. And, you know. No one does that to Strombo. No one. (laughs) But at the the same time as well, they were on tour with System of a Down and Fear Factory and had all of their equipment stolen. So then they had to borrow money from the merchandise side of Roadrunner Records to buy new instruments. And so the label were just effectively, well, you guys are costing us a lot more money now, so are, are you worth it? I believe that that maybe drove them a little bit more into the grafting and the hard work to kind of prove their point.
1: Yeah, I, I can see it from both sides. Where Imagine you're the label and you've got Spine Shank. It's like, we've got Garth. He's fresh off Mudvayne. ld is going to blow your mind, motherfuckers. No, I actually don't know what albums he'd recently done, but I think he might have just done Rage Against the Machine, you know, let's say. It's like, we've got him. He did Foo Fighters, didn't he? I've never heard of that band. I don't know who they are. All I know is that my favourite singer, Taylor Hawkins, Plays drums in a couple of tracks. That's yeah,
0: it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the, the guy, he used to be in Nirvana. He used to play bass guitar in Nirvana.
1: That Courtney Love. Love it. That's the one. That Courtney. Yeah, he's a good dude. I like Courtney. Courtney. Ambrose is, <laughs> Courtney Ambrose was the bass player in Nirvana. You come here for your cold hard facts, and that's it. So basically you go, this guy's got a, a six month gap in his schedule. Let's get Spineshank there. What? Three of the members can't get in? Fucking tell them to get in or fuck off. We cannot move Garth, you know? Garth on the the hierarchy is higher than Shank. All right, cool. What? The guy's been getting loaded and not singing? Fuck this guy. What? They've left their fucking van outside and they haven't had someone watching it and someone's stolen all the gear? Fucking hell. This is more trouble than it's worth. But then you've got this other band. They're like, we're young. We're 22. We're just learning can you give us some support or something? And Roadrunner are like, no, because you suck. It's like, no, we we suck because you haven't given us much support or resources or can you give us a tour manager or something? You know, give us a chaperone. So th- this is kind of how I see it. This is how I've imagined it in my head, which is a lot better than St. Anger, where I had to just fucking watch that like a clockwork orange. <laughs> Which is
0: a great, great reference there because the height of callousness is a reference to a clockwork orange. Is it really? Yeah. I thought you knew that. I thought that you were being clever. I was, but can you explain it for the
1: listeners who didn't pick up on it, please?
0: Okay, it's a reference to both the book and the movie A Clockwork Orange. I believe it's something that Alex DeLarge references in a very eloquent way that he speaks, you know, talking about the ultra violence and then talking about, uh, ultimately, it was the height of callousness that My Little Droogs were involved in. I sounded like Malcolm McLaren then. I didn't sound at all like Alex DeLarge. Yeah, but just going back to the label being difficult, it becomes more commonplace around that time when you hear that Roadrunner were being awkward with bands. I mean, as Glassjaw fans, we know exactly what happened between Roadrunner and Glassjaw. We've done a Fair Factory podcast and talked about how Fair Factory were not happy with Roadrunner, nor Cold Chamber, you know. For Roadrunner, I think it was the case of let's make as much money as possible. And it's I think it's unfair to those bands, especially Spine Shank, especially given their age when I think Roadrunner perhaps were expecting them to match the sales of your slipknots and your your soul flies, I believe primitive did did very well. Or or Nickelback, which was just poor oh, pulling that, that Roadrunner wagon for a very long time, you know. And I think it's it's unfair. Because going back to Fear Factory, Digimortal sold well. Didn't sell as well as say obsolete. But it definitely sold well. And I but apparently Roadrunner Records, and I say apparent because I've had to deal with like legal issues at the minute, they they weren't happy with they thought, oh, I thought it would sell more. Like are you fucking serious? But I, again I get with, you know, as I run a label myself, it's kind of these are all things that we need to recuperate money from, you know. If, oh, we'll pay for a music video, but we have to make the money back. It's not like a charity, okay? Oh, if we've um, advertised everywhere, posters, the whole shebang. Yeah, but we have to make that money back somehow as well. And if people aren't turning up for your shows, then, you know, maybe it's not the fact that Spine Shanks suck. Maybe it's the fact that, you, like you mentioned way at the start of this podcast, it was a mishandling of a band. And, and the whole kind of, oh, we don't know what to do with you. Which I think the more and more we talk about new metal bands or, or, or any band that was popular around, say, 2001 to 2003, where just the whole thing kind of just blew up and your mum even knew what new metal was. I think there was a lot of bands that kind of weren't kind of looked after to weren't catered to just basically because it was a situation where anyone that kind of sound or looked remotely new metal was picked up and there's only so much time and effort you can put into people. So, you know, maybe that was the case with Roadrunner, but it is interesting that a lot of bands do not have nice things to say about that label.
1: Yeah. Again, I don't, one aside just with Roadrunner, but you can imagine it's like, no. we know what we're doing, fucks. It worked with Slipknot. It worked with Nickelback. It's like, yeah, but we're not Nickelback. And it's kind of like two awesome people don't make a great marriage or don't make a great couple or don't make great parents. It You have to support each other. And I'm going to keep going back to Linkin Park because I, th- I think they are a goal band in that it really seemed like Mike and Chester in particular – knew how each other worked and lifted each other up and kind of filled the gaps in each other's performances or whatever it might have been, songwriting abilities, whatever. Yeah, That's what you want. Now, if you've got Roadrunner thinking they know how to fucking do everything because Chad Kroger ticks all their boxes and fills their bucket, great. But then you've got a band full of 22-year-olds who are like, we just want to rock DJ you know, because you're making me feel all right. Then surely... Like there's going to be a clashing of heads. Does that mean spine shank suck? No. Does that mean road suck? Not in this case for me. So it just wasn't meant to be. But it's like you know when back in the the 90s when labels would just sign any band that was grunge because Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were huge. So yeah. Like do you get mud honey out of that? Probably. But do you get a bunch of fucking shit? Yeah. Also, yeah. And do you do you feel a lot of people's Uh, heads with dreams of like, we're going to make it, we're going to headline Lollapalooza. It's like, nah, you're actually not like, we're going to ditch you three songs in, we're going to give you two singles and then, and we're going to put you on a tour with nobody supporting. And we're going to expect you to sell, sell out arenas. So I think Roadrunner, maybe, you know, not great, but whatever. I think that they had the band, the band didn't know how to handle the label and vice versa. And it just wasn't meant to be, I can tell you who was fucking thriving in this situation though. If you're in peroxide companies, oh, my God, man. To be in the early 2000s and own a hair dye franchise, oh, man. We got your reds. We got your blondes. What else do you need? Navy blue? Come over here, Chad. Great. Get it, get in here. Have you seen any of the spongehank videos? There's so much peroxide. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched an absolute fortune of them. It makes me wonder what happened to our sponsor, Frosted Tips. I mean, maybe they were like a a decade too late, maybe like two decades too late for that kind of stuff. Um, You've asked me in the run sheet, did I ever wear studded bracelets? The answer is an emphatic no, absolutely not. I've seen the amount of damage those things do to people. I was playing basketball once and a guy had a studded bracelet on and I went to go for a steal and I swatted his hand. And then the next minute I look over and he's bleeding from his wrist and the pin that you used to fasten like a belt or any kind of strappy thing actually just punctured into his skin. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, I thought I would be the one that got hurt from a studded bracelet because, you know, metal, but no, that, that. The kid ended up hurting himself and Was stayed. Dez from Cold Chamber umpiring? Uh no, it was uh, Amir De Rock.
1: He has something to do with he he has he has this do. Do. My, my well. man oh! <laughs> oh my gosh!
0: That's gonna be that's gonna be our Moby Dick now, isn't it? Anytime that we see Amir De Car, it's, it's gonna be like when you when you're out like in fucking Sydney Harbour on the ferry, I'm off to Manly, and suddenly like a porpoise or a dolphin appears in the harbour, and you're just like Oh, my God, look, a dolphin. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's how we're going to be with Amir from here on in when we do these podcasts going forwards. So
1: he produced or engineered Strictly Diesel, and then yep. he um, he kind of arranged the songs. or had, He was there when they were writing. So there's some orgy elements, and I think that comes through in the songwriting, but also the mix. I feel like the mix uh, – by the way, sorry, sorry, you're probably like 30 minutes in. I fucking love this album. I really like it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's a good album. It's a very good album, you know? And, you know, I do think it suffers from the fact of a lack of support and some poor choices. And, you know, I like Spine Shank, but I can understand when people are like, oh, here's another insipid new metal act, which which sucks. but there was a lot going on at that
1: time. But you feel like the mix of the album kind of let it down. Is that correct? At times, yes. I think... It when it goes to jump up, like it should be a more of a dynamic album, but I feel like the mix doesn't. It just kind of holds it at that sort of mud shovel ceiling level that I've talked about before. But the, you kind of get that with electronic music because you can't jump it up too much. But I feel like the guitars, there's no, there's not enough dynamic range in the guitars, which sounds wanky, but you know, fuck you. What thirty episodes in now? Fuck off, idiots. I can be wanky at times if I want. I'm su- yeah. I'm surprised you're not talking about the drums. Bro, that kick drum sound is fucking good. Tommy Decker's drum sound is amazing. Uh, and he's a great drummer. I really like these drum beats a lot, especially without the double kick, but it, it services the song and there's no splash. It's got everything I want. No splash is basically it. But yeah, I just feel like when it goes to that big chorus and Johnny's vocals are double tracked, it just doesn't have that oomph. But then I've, been, I've I've listened to this album through four sets of different headphones.
0: Wow. Okay, that's dedication. At the same time, right? Like you had one of those
1: splitters, and then it just—I don't know. Maybe it's a victim of its time, or maybe the fact that Garth was like, "Fuck this, guys. Let's just move on." Like I'm tired of dealing with you dicks. Maybe it was a mere rock. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to blame our boy. I don't want to blame our Moby Dick. But maybe no, that's no, no, man. What it was? You know, it, it couldn't have been him. But yeah, I just feel. Do you know? I kind of equate this album to the Smashing Pumpkins Machina. Okay. That album. Because Billy Corgan was always like, I wanted that album to be like, have a layer of dust over the top of it. And I really like it, but I just get the same sort of vibes from Spine Shank. whether that's correct or not. I don't know. I think maybe it's a, a subjective thing, but yeah, I definitely get some Machina vibes, maybe like Spine Shank. I actually don't know what year Machina was lit, released, but...
0: That would have been around maybe 2001, 2002, wouldn't it? Well, it was... um. Averidore, was that on machina or was that the one before it
1: no that was that was it
0: yeah yeah yeah. so i think uh, it's got to be maybe 2001 it was in the time frame when melissa after mauer she ended up playing bass for them correct
1: yeah yeah off the top off the top of my head i would say it was released in february 29 about 2000
0: so we'll get we'll get jamie to check uh, jamie Jamie, just check it out for us. Yeah, he's he's doing it now. Yeah, I
1: just get the same vibes from the, these albums. And I don't know why, man. It feels kind of weird. Got a game I'd like to play with you, Benji. Would you like to play with me? Um,
0: I, You know what? I could turn that into a real saucy little joke. um, Or I could just go, I would like to play one of our regular occurring segments on Batjo Death Trip, which is... The Reese game. Yes, I would like to play your game. Okay, right. Now we'll pause. But Now for everyone, we can pause that. And then, you know, whoever's out there in the world can clip this part now. Yeah, Reese, I'd love to play with you. There you go. So we've got both We've got both sides of the joke there. Do you know how many fucking Resident
1: Evil movies there are?
0: Fuck, a, a, a ton. Are we talking about the ones that are canon to Mily Jovovich? Or are we talking about including, like, the anime stuff that's also come out. Or, no, the CGI stuff. I think it's unfair to call it anime.
1: Yes. I've I've never seen one of them. It's an entire franchise of movies that I have never seen a fucking second of. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's good. It's operated entirely out of, like, my... You're saying... You're shaking your hand as if to say, it's half-half, some good, some bad.
0: I I watched the first Resident Evil because I was a big Resident Evil fan. And it was kind of, oh, cool, she's jumping off walls and kicking zombie dogs in the head. I don't want that. I want just a George A. Romero zombie horror flick like that. But, you know,
1: we don't always get in life what we want. Well, you are going to regret this choice, man, because I've gone through Resident Evil soundtracks... And I picked songs out of them. And I want you to tell me which Resident Evil soundtrack the song is on. So this is because Spine Shank, they have a a song on the Resident Evil soundtrack. Yeah. I actually thought, how many movies could there be? There's fucking a bajillion of them. Maybe seven. I'm not sure.
0: There's a lot. There is a
1: lot. All right, Benji, are you ready? Get the clock ticking. It's that time. Benji. Was The End of Heartache by Kill Switch Engage on Resident Evil Apocalypse, Resident Evil Extinction, or Resident Evil Retribution? I am not going to be good at this game. Uh, I'm going to just say
0: Extinction.
1: You are not good at this game. It was Apocalypse, alright? Okay, right? yeah. Was Vermillion by Slipknot on Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, Resident Evil Apocalypse, or Resident Evil Afterlife?
0: Uh, I'm going to say Afterlife.
1: Again, you're not good at this game. It was Apocalypse again. <laughs> gotcha. Was Outsider the Apocalypse remix by A Perfect Circle on Resident Evil Apocalypse, Resident Evil Afterlife, or Resident Evil original motion picture soundtrack? Uh, I'm going to say it was on the original motion picture soundtrack, but you're going to tell me it's Apocalypse again. So you think the Apocalypse... Remix was on the original motion picture soundtrack. Just want to clarify.
0: No, I think it was on Apocalypse.
1: It was on Afterlife, sucker. Ah, (laughs) You've gone zero from three. That's all right. I've had a good run with these games. It was always going to happen. I hope our listener Connor has done better than you. He probably has done. Was paralysed by Chimera on Resident Evil Degeneration, Resident Evil Vendetta... Or Resident Evil Extinction? Extinction? Hey, well done, mate. You good? (laughs) 25% ain't bad. I'm happy with that. I can live with that. I'm interested to hear if you even know about this song. Was Hexes by Bass Nectar featuring China Marino on Resident Evil Damnation, Resident Evil Matthews Bridge, Resident Evil Retribution?
0: It's hard for me because I'm trying to figure out in my head in which order the um, movies came out in. That's why I wanted to have a look at at the years and stuff like that. But no, right. Uh, Retribution.
1: Well done. Cool, cool. You didn't need your cheat sheet. Have you heard this song, Hexes by Bass Nectar featuring Chino? No, no,
0: no, I haven't, man. I'm going to go check that out as I'm sure maybe a lot of other people
1: that are listening in are going to check it out as well. You know, I'm going to look at the YouTube views right now for Bass Nectar Hexes featuring Chino. And then when this episode comes out, I'll refresh. Probably $3 billion it will go up by.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. It's
1: going to be the new Charlie bit my finger. Was everyone by your favourite band and my favourite band, Edema, everyone by Edema on Resident Evil Infinite Darkness... Resident Evil Original Motion Picture Soundtrack or Resident Evil The Mahara Desire? I'm going to say the original motion picture soundtrack. You started off like a fucking piece of dog rat shit, but you have come home strong, my man. Fucking well done. Hell.
0: Hold on. I got feelings, man. Like, I'm <laughs> sat right here.
1: Oh, man. Like, while was... I,
0: like, pick up my <laughs> self-esteem, of
1: who's, who's the advert from this week? Well, oh. it's actually... Uh, it's... To get rid of that tragedy, that tragic feeling that you're feeling, I've actually chased these guys down. I said, we've got $35,000 to give to you. Would you like to be our sponsor? And they said yes. So when you get just that little bit of tragedy stuck on you, this is the company that you want to go to. And speaking about niche references that you build a joke upon, this company could um, really sort of... Oh, here we go. <laughs> This isn't love dump translated into French as a perfume, but it's up there. <laughs> this is, again, the tragedy remover. Oh, Daniel, what have you got all over you? Oh, I'm sorry, Mum. I fell in a pile of cynics and Christ-like hypocrites, and now they're stuck all over me. Oh, dear. How are we ever going to get these off you? Remember last time this happened? It took us ages to get those jealous and thoughtless lunatics out of your hair. They ruined your school uniform, and your father was so upset he divorced me and started sleeping with a lady from his work. I know, Mum. I'm sorry. It was an accident. Don't let this be you. Are you tired of cynics and Christ-like hypocrites sticking to you like glue? Struggling to stop feeling unclean and undeniable? Well, stop spending all of your weekend trying to remove thoughtless lunatics from your clothes thanks to Baccio Death Trip's Tragedy Remover. That's right, our brand new Tragedy Remover is the perfect way to remove anything that is seeming to fuck with you and get your free time back. Just apply to a freshly washed and dried face before bed and watch as nothing can stick to you like glue anymore. Tell those pesky cynics to get back on their big truck and hit the road. Just look in your local pharmacist for the tragedy remover. It's the one with the terrible artwork and some word art looking lame drop shadow bullshit font. Don't bother asking the chemist because it's such an obscure and niche reference that it's it's really only going to be understood by one person and even then it's not really worth their time. Tragedy remover by Baccio Detrip. Come with me, I cannot lie.
0: Uh, it's not quite as esoteric as...
1: Uh the
0: ecstatic parfum uh can i just ask though you said that you gave 35000 australian dollars mm-hmm. uh, to the sponsors yes once again i need i remind you that it's the sponsors that pay us Reese. we don't pay the sponsors
1: did you send that in an email at all like i how am i fucking meant to remember that i'm pretty sure a couple of podcasts
0: ago, many podcasts ago, it, it was on public record that I asked you to do that. And uh, not only have I emailed you this, I have WhatsApped you. I have gone to at Baccio Death Trip on Instagram in order to send you a direct message to slip into your DMs when you're not putting up awesome, awesome taproot memes and stuff like that. That's at. That's death trip on Instagram. Check it out. Follow it. But more importantly, you, you are the spot. We're the sponsors of that advert. So you paid yourself 35,000
1: Australian dollars. Where did you get that money from? It's called a tax write-off, you fucking chump. If you knew anything about business, any $35,000. Hold on, you- hold on.
0: I run a record label. Okay. What do I know about business? Absolutely
1: nothing, man.
0: Okay, that was your first mistake. Your second mistake was putting me down after that game. Fuck you, Reese, and the fucking big truck that you rode in on. You can fuck right back off to the desert with Amir, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I may or may not be
1: circumcised.
0: <laughs> I if that gets deleted. That absolutely has to get deleted. Nope, it's in. Why? You might well, be. Because that's fact. You may, may or may, or may, may not, not be. be. Right. Is that is that a may or may not be to anyone else that's listening? Or is that more of an, uh, more to yourself? Like, oh, I don't look down there. I, I pee hands-free. My hands are up here. I don't even look no, down. That's... I, I may or may
1: not be circumcised. That is an absolute fact. That is 100% of the population with a penis. They are either circumcised or uncircumcised. There's nothing in between. Unless they're currently in the middle of an operation because their knob got too big for their foreskin, which is what happened to my friend's younger brother. Yeah,
0: okay? yeah, yeah. Your friend's
1: younger brother. All right. All right. I tell you, his knob got too big for his foreskin. Everyone with a penis may or may not have been circumcised. That is a fact, all right? But, and I'll pay you $35,000 just
0: to prove that. The question was, you may or may not be so are you unsure if you have or you haven't? Is this something that we need to talk about off air, man?
1: Do we need to get the doll out? I wanna have I wanna have, you know, some mystique in the ears of the listener.
0: <laughs> what a, so your idea of mystique is if people are wandering? That Reese guy, I wonder if he
1: is circumcised or not. It's basically the last card that I hold where everyone's like, I know that <laughs> guy lost his virginity to the straight-up compilation and Seven Dust and Murder Noms.
0: While slithering out of sunburnt skin like the snack that he is. <laughs> like shedding skin. And his Marvin the Martian boxer shorts. Yeah, we've really painted up, we've really, really created a a profile of you
1: over 30 plus episodes. haven't? So we? the last thing that I want, I just want to have something personal that I don't give to the listeners. And that is, am I circumcised or not? So away
0: from all the listeners, anything like that, because uh, God, I'm actually quite curious about this myself. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why. Okay. But by either nodding or shaking your head, are
1: you or are you not circum? Are you circumcised? My cut style determines my dick style, okay? And here's my answer.
0: Ah, oh, that's interesting. And no one will ever know because oh, it's a podcast rather than
1: a video. No, card. I told Connor Speak- the other week, to be honest. Oh,
0: sound okay. <laughs> Speaking of big dick swinging, um, yeah, Smothered, which came off uh, Self-Destruct Pattern, uh, the third spine shank album that
1: got nominated for a grammy which is weird because it's not a great song that is kind of like no, mudvayne's really happy you know it's like you've got the big album ld50 what's next what do you got for us we got happy fucking get back in the cupboard and write us another song okay guys cuz this is hey chud and krug <laughs> get back in the, the uh warehouse and write us a better song spine shank smothered is not a good song but that's like that's the one the industry like yeah we'll give it to you
0: yeah it's not too heavy and there's a lot more singing involved in it and yeah but and and yeah but in summary the height of callousness good album maybe poorly managed would would that be the fair assumption
1: that we make yes i would say that poorly managed but also i feel like cuz it just goes like song 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 Oh, uh, give me just a breather and that's what that's the benefit of being an electronic album. If you want to have just like a four-second gap between songs of just some weird noise that goes into the next track, you can do that. That's that's easier to do. But I think the producer was just like, wait, next song, next song, next song. It feels like they're just rushing. And I like that sense of urgency a lot of the time. But this one, it feels like you're not sure of what you've got here. And when I remembered this album in my mind, I was like, oh, it's the one that starts off with like three fucking huge bangers and then peters out at the end. That's not correct at all. My memory has been purely fucked over by my own brain here because this album is just banger after banger after banger. You know, it doesn't stop right to the very end. You almost get no let up, which is usually a good thing. But in this case, it makes him seem sort of, in my opinion, anxious in about like oh i don't know if this is good so i'm just gonna rush through it it's like no it's really good i promise you like if we move fast no one will notice this is shit but it's like no it's actually really good and if you slowed down just a tiny bit like just had a bit of a gap between songs a bit of space to breathe that might be easier to register for the listener
0: yeah and i think this ties into a conversation that we had before we started recording and it's the idea of much like Lars Ulrich said when we discussed it in the last podcast, when is the song finished? And perhaps it is the case where, you know, it was just like, all right, we need to get this done. We need to prove a point to Roadrunner Records, okay? It's done now. It's done. It's done. And maybe it was the opposite of like, maybe it could have done with a little bit more. Not too much, but a little bit more to alleviate that kind of, anxious feeling on the record and having anxiety on a record can be a great thing i mean listen to all the old school wire records and stuff like that or post-punk that builds up tension but we're talking about an an anxiety in in the sense of it just just needs to be out now which which isn't tension building in many cases it feels like a little bit of a letdown but it, it hard, like a series of unfortunate events, like we spoke about earlier on in this episode. Just, yeah. And of course, Johnny Santos then left Spineshank. Uh, but now, last year, they've gotten back together and starting to record newish material. I think one of their B-sides they actually released digitally not too long ago.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't heard the new stuff either. I, I definitely saw it on Spotify, but have you listened to it? No, I haven't. I was too
0: busy listening to Strictly Diesel and The Height of Callousness, along with uh, listening to once again your Wayne Static X Elton John <laughs> mashup, which
1: is absolutely phenomenal. Still, to this day, I think you bumped it up to twelve listens, which is really nice. Thank you so much. I'll be waiting next to the mailbox for my royalty check. At least three of those are mine, and the other nine are mine. Um, Benji, what are we doing next week? Do you know?
0: Well, next week we'll be talking about the interesting story regarding the Queen of the Damned soundtrack in which Jonathan Davies from Korn was asked to work on the album, but contractually, he couldn't really appear on it. So hopefully we'll be talking all about that, why Stuart Townsend was an idiot that, you know, let Charlize Tehran walk away and everything in between. Hey, more Static X talk as well.
1: Wait, wait, wait a minute. Jonathan Davis is on the album. Like, but not heaps, yeah?
0: Not heaps, not predominantly.
1: Yeah, okay. So he maybe got like three tracks or something. I have reached out to the one of the actors in that movie. They have left me on red. So I was trying to get a scoop and it's not been going well. Are you planning to watch the movie before we do this podcast? I'm
0: gonna have to, aren't I? Yeah. Maeve, it's one of my wife's favorite movies. Really? Yes. I mean she's a big Anne Rice fan. Which is funny because didn't Anne Rice disown um Queen of the Damned? Is that Damien Rice's
1: wife or sister? No, 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 no. It's uh Cream Rice's sister. Uh I don't know what Anne Rice is and I don't know and and I probably should, because in about seven days I'll be talking about this movie and this soundtrack. And I'm looking forward to it because it's got some it's got some Jay Gordon. Yep. It's got some David Germain from or from Disturbed. It's got some Wayne Static. Oh, fucking Chester's on it. It's uh,
0: it's a good soundtrack, but we'll talk more about that next week. As always, thank you so much everyone for tuning in once again. By tuning in, jumping on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from, it'd be weird if you had a tuner on your computer. And
1: uh, never forget, this one is for our boy Jamie Kennedy. God bless you. If you find yourself with some spare time, just Google Jamie Kennedy. Just jump in anywhere. It's all gold, all right? Absolutely. Jamie Kennedy, son of the mask.
0: Check it.